Uh, we're going to be reading uh, from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading the first five, and then my daughter Olive will be reading the, the second half. All right. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? Woo! <laughs> Thank you. think your daughter can read better than you, man. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She can read better than me, too. It's okay. <laughs> That's awesome. It's really exciting. Family Sunday is a really exciting time, and we realize that it is a bit challenging for parents in a lot of ways, because you're worried about trying to keep your kids under control, but this weekend is designed for you not to have to feel that way. So please, just Relax and that was incredible. <laughs> that was an act of God. Yeah, just relax and enjoy uh, this time together this morning. And like Pastor Tim said, please stop downstairs, grab something after, and get to know somebody and uh, make a friend. But I'm really excited to look at this passage this morning. Obviously, today is Palm Sunday, right? This is Palm Sunday. This beginning, this begins to mark the beginning of Passion Week for us as we look ahead toward Easter, towards the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go through the triumphal entry of Jesus today, which is very traditional um, for us. And typically when reading this story in Scripture, we approach it with our own understanding. And what I mean is that we have an idea of the events that occurred and the stories that were told to us as kids, and we probably already have a picture of this moment in our minds. Is that fair? We probably already have different images that pop into our heads as Jesus casually enters Jerusalem on a donkey and seemingly spontaneous worship begins to erupt from the crowds as they recognize who Jesus is, and it's just this glorious picture. It's kind of the picture that we get in our minds, right? Look at this incredible scene as people feel led to worship Jesus as their king. However, I want to encourage you to look at this story with a fresh set of eyes this morning. Can we do that? 
with a fresh set of eyes and try to reimagine the story of Christ entering into Jerusalem. You know, anytime we read scripture, we're going to come across familiar passages, familiar stories, and if we're not careful, we can miss some of the details because we become so comfortable. Is that is that accurate? We've all done that. But I want to encourage you that as we look at this story today, this account of Jesus entering Jerusalem, to have a fresh set of eyes. Because in reality, while this marks the beginning of Passion Week, this is the beginning of the end. This is the point of no return for Jesus and his disciples. Have you ever considered that Jesus, God's son, came to earth and he lived, what, roughly 33 years? And we only read about the last three years of his life. Doesn't that kind of bug you a little bit? Don't you want to know how Jesus was as a teenager? Just a little bit. I want to know what Jesus was like, right? But we only read about really the last three years of his life. And then of those last three years, a significant portion of each of the Gospels is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. That's how important the events that are occurring in this moment are. And so while this is the beginning of Passion Week and it seems to start on a high note, Jesus entering Jerusalem, everybody worships Jesus for who he is, I want you to consider that this also marks the point of no return. From this moment on, there is no going back. And there's all kinds of moments like this in our own lives as well, right? Sink or swim, ready or not, to the moon or bust, no turning back sort of moments. Like that moment you buckle into a roller coaster and it leaves the station and you hear that click, you realize that if you're screaming, they're thinking you're having fun. You know what I mean? There's no going back. Or how about when you graduate high school and you're facing the real world, right? You're 18 and you're on your own now. Not quite in our world. Parents probably wish that was the case, right? Or when you get married. I was talking to Leah and I was asking Leah this past week, what is one of those no turning back moments? And she said, when you go into labor, <laughs> ready or not, this baby's coming into the world and there's nothing you can do about it. And you're usually not ready, right? You're usually not ready. There's no going back, right? Or how about when your kids leave home? Nothing can really quite prepare you to be an empty nester, can it? Just can't quite let go. Well, life is lived moving forwards, and unfortunately, oftentimes, we're not prepared for these no-turning-back sort of moments, but Jesus was prepared for this moment. Jesus is fully aware of the situation at hand, and he sets the events of this week in motion even though the disciples have no idea what is about to happen. As we are about to see, Jesus' actions during his final week are very intentional, calculated, methodical, and deliberate. And I want us to catch this today. I don't want you to think that this week just happened to Jesus and it was Unfair, And it certainly was unfair and unjust, but I want you to see how Jesus set the course of action into motion. We must see and understand how intentional Jesus is being during the week that led up to his crucifixion. Why? 
because he knew what he was doing because he had you and I in mind. What is about to happen to Jesus is within his full power and control, and he willingly allows himself to become a sacrifice for you and I. You know, I don't have any, like, three points to this message. I don't have uh, anything like that, but I do have a question. It's a really important question, and before we get to the Lord's Supper together, I'm going to ask you that question. But I just want you to reimagine this story with me and recall this story to gain a fuller picture of what is really happening as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. And for us to do this, we actually need to zoom out a little bit and step back and look at the story just before this story in Matthew 21. We need to zoom out and see where Jesus healed two blind men as he was leaving Jericho, right? So Jesus leaves Jericho. He's headed to Bethphage, or however you want to say that. Just say it confidently, and it sounds like you know what you're talking about. He's, he's leaving Jerusalem, headed to Bethphage, and on the way there's two blind men, and they cry out and they say, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Twice they say this, and Jesus responds by saying, what do you want me to do for you? And of course, as it goes on, Jesus heals them just like we would expect him to do, but if we're not careful, we would think that this was just another miracle recorded and added into Matthew's account. But out of everything that Jesus has done, why did Matthew record this specific miracle at this moment? And it's because up until this moment, Jesus concealed his identity, didn't he? Remember all of the miracles and stories before this where Jesus would send them away and tell them to be quiet or tell them not to tell anybody? And now they're calling out to Jesus as the son of David, and he allows himself to take on that title without silencing them. Because what's happening here is that Jesus is beginning to reveal his true identity, that he is, in fact, the son of the living God, that he is the Messiah, the long-awaited prophet, that he is the Savior who has come to take away the sins of the world. And you just have to imagine the relief that the disciples must finally feel. I knew that's who Jesus was, and I've had to keep the secret, and he's not telling anybody, and Jesus is finally acting like the sort of leader that we want to follow. Jesus is finally claiming to be king. So that's the first thing that we need to notice about this story that maybe we haven't noticed before. We ought to also consider that this scene of Jesus showing up in Jerusalem isn't as spontaneous as we might have initially thought. Has anybody considered that? I'm, this, maybe this is just my mind, but we used to think that this just kind of erupted out of nowhere. That Jesus, I mean, of course he knew what he was doing riding on a donkey, but that picture of praise and worship, it just kind of seems like it's this spontaneous reaction as if they begin to recognize who Jesus is without any real rhyme or reason. But we must see here how Jesus is purposefully orchestrating the events of this moment. Jesus is planning his own coronation as king. 
Isn't that crazy to think about? Jesus is planning his own coronation as king. Matthew told us that when they came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Now, while this is certainly possible, that this is a miracle, and that Jesus had foreknowledge of this donkey, right? It's actually more likely that Jesus was familiar with the village of Bethphage, that he would have been known around town. Isn't that crazy to consider that Jesus stopped in that Wawa and he knew the locals? You know what I mean? Like that kind of picture that Jesus, this is where Mary and Martha are from, and so Jesus knows the people there, and the people in that village know who Jesus is. So he knows where this donkey is at, and he sends his disciples to retrieve this donkey so that when they're getting the donkey for him, the people who they're getting the donkey from, the owner, realizes what is happening, and the disciples say, well, the Lord needs them, and they would have already known that they were speaking of Jesus. So why is this significant to consider? Again, I think we have to see Jesus' acts as deliberate in this moment. Jesus knows what he is doing. He is about to purposefully reveal his identity to all of Israel. He is about to march into Jerusalem during Passover, the busiest time of the year, and he is about to tell everyone that he is king. That's why this is the point of no return for Jesus and his disciples. This is a do-or-die moment. Either he will enter into Jerusalem and they will worship him as king, or he will be killed for his actions. Of course, we know how the story goes. You know, we see Jesus here as humble, oftentimes riding in on a donkey. And yes, Jesus is humble, but he is not modest. He knows who he is and what he has come to do. And we see Jesus stepping into his rightful place as king. This is where the not-so-minor detail of the donkey becomes incredibly significant for us. Another detail that we don't want to miss, and if we're often, we don't miss this detail, but you read in Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy about the coming king, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus knew what he was doing. The disciples and those worshiping Jesus at this moment are excited that Jesus is finally taking his rightful place, and you just know Peter is thinking to himself, finally, the moment that we've been waiting for. Finally, Jesus acting like a leader. He's going to march into Jerusalem. He's going to kick out the Romans. And he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth. 
and he misses the fact that he's riding on a donkey. I mean, he should have shown up in a Ferrari or something. You know what I mean? Not a Toyota Camry. You know what I'm saying? He should have shown up in style, but he showed up on a donkey because he's making a bold claim, isn't he? Yes, Jesus is boldly claiming to be king, but what kind of king is he? What kind of king shows up to battle on a donkey? A king who is prepared to die in battle. What kind of king shows up on a donkey when a donkey is reserved as a mode of transportation for servants? We're talking about a servant king. Jesus is sending mixed messages, but everyone is too caught up in the moment to realize what Jesus is doing, but Jesus knows what he is doing. And there's so many details about this story that we often miss, such as the fact that Jesus is riding on a colt, which means that it was never ridden before, reserved for a king, unbroken, and Jesus exercises his dominion over all creation as he rides an unbroken colt into Jerusalem and we also don't want to overlook the fact that this great crowd that Matthew is talking about rolls out the red carpet for Jesus as they lay their cloaks on the ground and as they lay branches on the ground and shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They roll out the red carpet before Jesus. Which brings me to another significant detail that we don't want to miss. Notice in verse 9, if you look in your Bibles, it says that the crowds that went before him and that followed him, at this point, they haven't even entered Jerusalem. Who are these people? This isn't the people in Jerusalem who are there to celebrate the Passover. This is Jesus' entourage worshiping him as they leave Bethphage down the Mount of Olives, looking out over Jerusalem. This is Jesus rolling in with his entourage, and they are worshiping and shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David, so that as they enter Jerusalem, the whole city is stirred, meaning they can't miss it. Jesus will not go unnoticed. He is commanding the attention of the city, and they ask the question, who is this? All eyes are on Jesus at this moment as he orchestrated all of the details surrounding his entry into Jerusalem, and by so doing, Jesus seals his fate, and this would begin Jesus' path to the cross. But of course, Jesus' disciples had no idea about the events that would begin to occur that week. Can we just give them grace, though? Because if we were there, we wouldn't have known either. We only know because we have God's word. But we would have missed it, too. There's so many details about this incredible story that we could read it time and time again and still find something new. But I want to focus on one aspect which is the question, 
the question found in verse 10. Who is this? It continues into verse 11 by the crowd responding, saying that this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is not an inaccurate answer, but it is an inadequate answer. Jesus is a prophet, but he is so much more than a prophet. Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem reveals that he is, in fact, the King of Kings, the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come to give his life as a ransom for many. But the people in, in Jerusalem reduced him to a prophet. We make the same mistake today. We think of Jesus as being our friend. We think of Jesus as being our counselor. We think of Jesus as being our comforter. We think of Jesus being an acquaintance in our life who we can go to in our time of need. But Jesus is riding into our hearts this morning and we are faced with the question, who is this? Because unless Jesus is king in your life, he is nothing to you. You will either love him or you will hate him. You will either worship him with all of your life or you would reject him. So I would ask us to consider this morning as we head to the Lord's Supper. If you haven't already done so, answer the question, who is this? Who is Jesus to you? You know, I read a quote in preparation for this morning, and it talked about Jesus and how we oftentimes as servants put ourselves in the seat of king. But Jesus is the king who has put himself in the seat of a servant. I'm asking you this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? Because unless he is king of your life, he is nothing but it is easy to submit to Jesus because he is a gentle king and he comes riding on a donkey. Amen. God, I thank you, Father, for who you are. God, I thank you that you had a plan from before the foundations of the world were laid to send your son, Jesus, that he would lay down his life for us. God, I pray today that as we hear your word, God, that you would accomplish exactly what it is you desire to accomplish in our hearts. Lord, that we would ask ourselves the question, but who do we say that Jesus is? And Lord, that we would be able to answer, he is king, and that we would worship you and that we would live obediently to you. God, we pray. I thank you for this morning and this time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.